Don't touch anything, don't move. <laughs> uh, it's lovely to see you all here this morning. And I just want to start off with a word of encouragement, which is that my mum has prayed for me every year since I was born. So that's quite a few years. So that's quite a legacy I've got. And I did say to her I was going to be speaking this morning on the plagues of Egypt. And um, so every time I've seen her for the last couple of weeks, she said, how are you getting on with the plagues? <laughs> and um, I said, well, Mum, there's 10 of them and I've only got 25 minutes. So can you pray to the Lord to help me be brief? So if the Lord answers her prayer, you know who to thank. <laughs> So we're continuing our series this morning of Exodus, and um, we're going to be doing chapters 7, verse 14 to 10, 29. And just to sort of recap a little bit, Richard was sharing last week about, at the moment, the Israelites are still in Egypt wanting to get out, and Pharaoh's refusing to let them go. And Moses is feeling that frustration and disappointment that he's done what God's told him to do, which is speak to Pharaoh. He's done a few signs, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's not going to let the people go. And also, the people themselves are not very happy with Moses. So he's caught between these two forces. And he's saying to God, you know, I've done what you told me to do. What's happened? And God is saying to him, don't worry. I'm going to do some mighty signs that will let Pharaoh know, that will force Pharaoh's hand. And so really, that's what we're talking about this morning. It's the uh, plagues of Egypt that many of you perhaps will be familiar with and uh, how God used this to force Pharaoh's hand to release Israel. So rather than going through all 10 plagues, which would take all of our time, I'm just going to read one to give you a, a sort of a flavor of a plague <laughs> so that you know what the plagues were like. And then I'll take you through the other eight very quickly and just point out a few um, things that are of, of interest as we go through. And then I just want to make two quick points and then hopefully we'll be finished. So, so let's read the first plague that God sent, which was turning water into blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Take note of that about Pharaoh's heart because that's a key point in this passage. <laughs> Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. And then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian and magicians did the same things by their secret arts. I find that really interesting. You'll see that in the next plague as well. They couldn't undo what God was doing, but they just added to it. 
And when you hear that and read that, that tells you everything you need to know about the works of darkness and about Satan. He never makes anything better. He can only make it worse. It says, Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they couldn't drink the water from the river. So if we can have a look at our next um, slide, which hopefully summarizes the plagues of Egypt, the other plagues. So the next plague, enter the frogs. It says, Aaron stretched his hand and frogs covered the land of Egypt. And again, the magicians were able to replicate it. They couldn't countermand what God said. They couldn't get rid of the frogs, but they could add to the problem. How, how helpful is that? And Pharaoh said, pray to the Lord and I will let your people go. So Moses prayed, but when Pharaoh saw the relief, his heart was hardened. This is a recurring theme and he wouldn't listen. Next, enter the gnats. It said, the dust turns to gnats on the people and the animals. This time, the magicians couldn't do it. I don't know why, but they weren't up to creating gnats. And, then, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This has to be God. We can't do this. But it says, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he wouldn't listen. Plague number four are the flies. Are you getting the feeling it's not a good place to be right now in the land of Egypt? It says, flies filled the houses and the land. But interestingly... This time, God says, on this day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and the people of Egypt. And I just want to pause there to encourage you, you know, that the Lord makes a distinction between those who are his and those who aren't his. And there's a lovely verse in uh, 2 Timothy 2.19. It says, the foundation of the Lord stands firm. The Lord knows those who are his. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you belong to the Lord, he knows that you are his. And by belonging to the Lord, what I mean is that at some point you have, have said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. I, I don't want to go my own any way anymore. I don't want to live my own life apart from you. I want to put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me my sins, my rebellion, my going my own way. I ask you to cleanse me. I want you in my life. I want to follow you and be a learner of you. If you have prayed that prayer then the Lord knows you've prayed it and he knows that you are his. And I just want to encourage you this morning that the Lord is full of compassion towards you. And you're not just a number on a spreadsheet. You're not just a face in the crowd. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows your heart. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows how you feel when you're at your weakest and most vulnerable. And he's for you, and he's full of compassion, and he distinguishes between you and those who don't know him. So just please be encouraged by that this morning. So Pharaoh starts trying to negotiate with God at this point and says, well, sacrifice to God, fine, but do it in Egypt. Don't go away. And Moses says, no. So Moses says, okay, you, uh, Pharaoh says, pray for me. Moses prays, and guess what? Pharaoh 
hardened his heart. Next is the plague on the livestock. All the cattle died, but not one animal in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. This is Pharaoh checked. <laughs> he actually went to check, and none of them had died, yet his heart was unyielding. Next were the boils. So uh, festering boils broke out on men and animals, and it says, you could probably repeat the refrain with me now, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then we get to plague seven, which is the hail. And this time God speaks to Pharaoh and he says, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and wiped you off the face of the earth. You know, there's mercy in God. He's merciful. He doesn't just strike. Pharaoh has warning after warning after warning. And you see that throughout the Bible, that God gives warnings many times, because he's full of compassion and his heart is that everyone should be saved, that no one should perish. And God, and God actually says, this time tomorrow, there will be the worst hailstorm ever. So give an order to bring your livestock and everything you have into a place of shelter or they will die. And I, I'm amazed when I read this in the Bible. It says, the officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside. But those who ignored, ignored the word of the Lord, left their slaves and livestock in the field. I'm, to me, that beggars belief. You've seen all that God's done. God gives you a warning, and you still decide that you're going to leave everything outside, although he says a hailstorm is coming. And I think, to me, that really shows what it's like to have persistent unbelief. You know, sometimes we look at people and we think, if only they would believe in God, and if only they had more evidence, if only they saw more miracles, if only, if only, if only. But there is sometimes, there is a decision to not believe, and it's an act of the will. And I think that's what happened here. There were people who decided, I am not going to submit to God, I'm not going to bow the knee to him. And uh, I was, it reminded me of a poem that I read once called Invictus by William Henley, who was an atheist. And he says, the, song, the, the poem goes, My head is bloody but unbowed. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And there are people who, who take that. And it's, it's just tragic, really. You know, they're, they're fighting a fight with God, and there can only ever be one winner when you fight God. But Pharaoh... Um, Moses says, I'll pray and it will stop, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. And it says they harden their hearts. Uh, then we get the locusts. And God says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And this time, Pharaoh's officials are saying to him, how long are you going to let this go on? For goodness sake, let them go. Can't you see that Egypt's ruined? But once the locusts are gone, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the final plague, you'll be pleased to know we're getting to the end of the plagues now, won't you? Is the thick darkness. And it said, darkness came that could be felt for three days. No one could see their hand in front of their face. No one could move. But in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were, it was light. Try and get your head around that. I can't imagine how that worked. It's like saying there's light in Nashford, but dark in Maidstone. I don't know how God did it. But I do know that if I had been an Egyptian, I would have moved to Goshen, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Pharaoh says to Moses, and this is so sad, Pharaoh says to Moses, get out of my sight, I never want to see you again. 
And when you think that Moses really was the voice of God and the face of God, really what Pharaoh was saying was to God, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you. And the saddest thing is Moses said, just as you say, I will never appear before you again. And sometimes, you know, when we say to God, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to see you, God gives us what we want. Okay, I hope you're not feeling too sad now, but that led to the final plague, which was the death of the firstborn, which will be covered in next week. So I don't have to talk about that one. But I just, I just want to reiterate again what I was saying about, you know, God was merciful. He sent many warnings and Pharaoh came to know God's existence. He knew that God was real, that God was powerful, that God had a special relationship with his people, but none of that brought him to salvation. And that shows the nature of unbelief, really. Um, and Jesus said, talked about it in John 3, 19. Jesus says, this is their condemnation, that light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There was that choosing not to come into the light. So you think, okay, what does that mean for us, those of us who, who are following the Lord, who are learners of Jesus? There's two points, really, quickly, that I'd like to make. One is about prayer and the importance of prayer. Um, Egypt was the superpower of its day, the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time that we're reading about. We've got superpowers today, haven't we? You only have to listen to the news and you hear about the USA and Russia and China. And sometimes we can feel helpless in the face of what's going on in the world around us. But this passage of scripture tells us that there's only ever really been one superpower, and that is God. God says, I am the superpower. I always have been, I always will be. Don't you worry about that. All the resources are at my disposal. But God wants to work in partnership with us. God says, I've got the power, but I'm calling you to work in partnership with me. And sometimes we're a bit like Moses. We're a bit reluctant. We'd rather stay on the sideline and just applaud, you know, genteely when God gets into action. But God wants to work with us. He wants us to pray and he wants us to take action when he speaks to us and to be involved because he wants us to know the joy of seeing prayers answered. So there's two verses um, in John that I just want to sort of share with you. John 16, 24, John 15, 7 to 8. And these are, this is what Jesus said about prayer. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be complete. Jesus said, if you remain in me, that means if you stay close to me in union with me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And the fruit Jesus is talking about here is answered prayer. God actually wants us to know the joy of a continuous flow of answered prayer that keeps us filled with joy. You know, when God tells us to pray, he's not just giving us something to do to keep us occupied and keep us busy till he comes back. So he's got no intention of doing anything to answer our prayers, but he just wants to keep us occupied like you might occupy a child with a little toy. He actually wants us to know the joy. And it was interesting because I joined the um, pre-church prayer meeting this morning and somebody was just giving 
feedback on how they'd seen an answer to prayer. They'd prayed about something and God had answered. And this lady, her face was filled with joy. Those of you who are in the prayer meeting will know what I'm talking about. Her face was filled with joy, her face, her voice. And she said, I've prayed and God answered. And that's what God wants. And sometimes we think, you know, we were called to pray for Ukraine, weren't we, recently, and fast and pray. And you think, Lord, a few mumbled words, a few skipped meals, can this really make a difference? And God says, yes, because you are aligned with my mighty power. And I, I want to work in partnership with you. And I want you to see the joy of your prayers being answered. The second point, really, I want to just make is the fact that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And again, the Bible has a lot to say about this. The Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And I've come to understand it doesn't always look the same as it did with Pharaoh. You think, well, I wouldn't do what Pharaoh did. But there's another account in the Bible where Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection. And he says he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. It says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe it. And it just goes on to say that, you know, he, he appears different times and that they don't believe him. And I find that surprising that Jesus, when he, when he meets with them, he rebukes them for being hard-hearted. And you think, well, maybe broken-hearted, maybe disappointed, maybe bewildered. But they perhaps weren't even conscious that their hearts had become hardened. But sometimes when we have pain in our lives and we're not prepared to deal with it and come, come to God with our pain and ask him to heal that which makes no sense, and we come to God with questions that are unanswered, a bit like Moses did, if we don't do that, it can build a resistance in our lives. It can make us hard of heart. We say to God, well, I'll continue coming to church. I'll continue giving my money, but don't ask me to get emotionally involved. I don't want to know. I've been hurt. And, and we sort of withdraw. The Bible says, don't throw away your confidence. And when we do throw away our confidence, it's often because we've become disappointed. But God says... He wants to bring healing to us. When, if we're in that position, he says, don't turn away from me. Don't harden your heart. Come to me and, and receive healing. And often the healing isn't an answer. It's not that God answers our questions, but it's his presence and his peace. And sometimes we have to let go of our right to understand. So God's answer to us this morning, I believe, is this. It says in the Bible, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. This is a verse of scripture that comes to me so many times. I get given this in a prophetic word over and over again, so I know it's something God says to me about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And the Bible says it's with your heart that you believe unto righteousness. It's with your heart that you know God. It's with your heart that you know who God is. And, and we're to trust in him. Let everything about you be anchored in who he is. And it says, don't lean on your own understanding. You know, if I were to lean on this, it would be supporting my weight. I'm not going to lean on it because I don't think it could support my weight. But if I did, that's what I'd be doing. 
And what that verse is saying is don't let understanding be what supports you. In the ups and downs of life, you need to know that who God is and you need to love him and trust him with your heart, relying not on your own understanding. And if I think what I've learned is that if I, if I reduce God to how much I understand about him and his dealings with me, then I've made him very small. <laughs> There's always an element of mystery in our dealings and our relationship with God. I'm just going to finish. I'm conscious that time is gone. So I'm just going to finish with um, just a personal example of this, really. There's two women who... Um, has spoken to me in my life and um, this was a long time ago but I, I took on a job a new job and I had this manager who was quite difficult and as a result of that I became quite stressed and I became quite anxious and being the sort of person I was I wanted to sort this anxiety out myself and I went to see this lady who I trusted and respected and, and um, I was saying to her should I be doing this should I be doing this how do I sort this out <laughs> And she looked at me sort of slightly puzzled-like, and she said to me, and I've written it down what she said. She said, you're not alone, you know. And I thought at first she was talking about friends and church family, and then I realized she was talking about the Lord. And she said, you're talking about him as though he's out there somewhere and comes and goes. But he's not. He's with you all the time, and he's inside you. And you can't work this thing out on your own. You can't change your personality, your way of doing and thinking and being. He's got to do it for you, and you've got to trust him to do it for you. He'll bring you through this, and you have to trust and let him. And whether you're feeling up or down, Catherine, he's with you. You're not alone. And it doesn't really matter. Having the answer to all those questions isn't important. What's important is that you know he's with you. So I said to her, what, you mean I need to relax? And she thought for a bit and said, well, it's trust, really. <laughs> and I just remember that. That was a real breakthrough moment for me about the importance of trusting in the Lord. And then the other one was just a quickie. It's just um, a friend of mine who told me just in passing. She said, I used to ask God for help with things when I didn't feel I could cope with them or if they were outside of my resources. And she says, I noticed things went better when I did that. So then I thought to myself, well, why don't I ask him when I think I can cope with it? <laughs> and now she says I've got into the habit of asking him about everything. And that, to me, those two examples are people who've learned to trust in the Lord and not lean on their own understanding. So I'm just aware that time has gone. Sorry, that was a bit rushed towards the end. But um, I, just want to, I just want to encourage you today that, you know, if, if anything I've said has spoken to you, Talk to somebody about it. So if you're somebody who thinks, well, she was talking about knowing God. I don't know that I am. I don't know that God does know I am his. Please speak to somebody about that. If you're somebody who thinks, actually, my heart has got hard, then, 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 then ask somebody to pray. We had this amazing series about um, healing, church, being a church that heals. And it says, you know, we're not here to condemn one another. We're here to encourage and to pray. And if you feel there are things in your life that you'd be better off without, and you want somebody to pray with you, then, then go to somebody you trust. This person said, don't go to anybody. Go to somebody that you know will be able to help you. And by all means, come to the front as well if you want. We will pray with you. Lord, the Lord knows we can't fix ourselves, but he can fix us and he can heal us and he can remind us of who he is. So I'm just going to close in prayer now, if that's okay, and then hand over to Lecky. Yeah. 
Father, I just thank you that we can know you. And that is the most amazing thing that we can say, that we know you and you know us and you know all about us. Lord, I just thank you this morning you don't come to condemn, but you come to help, you come to heal, you come to fix us, Lord, where we're broken and we need it. And Father, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to just come and touch people who need to know your love and your compassion in their lives. I just pray that you'll bless us, Lord, as we finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.